All right. Well, uh, good music again, brother. You, uh, I appreciate what you do a whole lot, and I think everybody does. All right. So, guys, we were in chapter 11. We finished chapter 11 last week of Luke, and now we're going to start chapter 12. But that's not as big a break as you might think. <laughs> the original scriptures didn't have any chapter divisions. Those were placed in there for our convenience, because if I said hey, let's get this scroll of Luke out and go about halfway down. That would be a lot harder than saying, turn to chapter 12 and verse 1. So last week we were talking about hypocrisy, and we are still talking about hypocrisy. Uh, You know, Jesus called out the religious leaders because they they were careful to tithe even their garden herbs, but they neglected justice and the love of God. Spiritual disciplines are great. Guys, I read my Bible every day. I pray constantly. Uh, I study my Bible throughout the week. Um, I witness to people. All these things are spiritual disciplines, and those are things that I do, and they're good to do. Just don't replace the biggest things with smaller things. That's what these hypocrites were doing. It was okay for them to tie the the garden herbs. I mean, it probably wasn't necessary, but that was okay. But what they really needed to do was keep their eye on the big picture, and that's what they had failed to do. So last week we talked about how you may say, well, you know, I listen to K-Love for my spiritual benefit, and that's great. You keep doing it. Um, or I, you know, am, am careful to read my guidepost every day or whatever. Those things are fine. Just don't do those in place of the bigger things because that's what these Pharisees were doing. Well, Jesus is still talking about hypocrisy today. And he gives us some ways to avoid hypocrisy that I really hope we can learn and internalize today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1, if you want to turn there or look at the screen. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should say to defend yourself, or, well, I guess I read that wrong, how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The first thing I want us to see is we are to avoid hypocrisy by fearing God the Father. 
The fear of God is so lacking in our churches today. Now, I'm going to play for you a, a clip of one of the men that was foundational in my understanding and my theology, the late, great Dr. R.C. Sproul. Uh, we're going to watch what he says about this because of all the men of the past century, I would say none have done more to enlighten the present day church on the fear of God than Dr. Sproul. So watch this with careful attention to exactly what is said. Danny, if you'll kill the lights and play this little clip for us. If God is slow to anger and patient, excuse me, since God is slow to anger, we're always learning. Since God is slow to anger and patient, then why, when man first sinned, was his wrath and punishment so severe and long-lasting? So I think you can see why I love and appreciate Dr. Sproul. I couldn't have said it that well. Um, that is the concept of God that we have to get our head around in order to understand the grace of God. If I were to do something that offended you, uh, if I were to disobey you and do something harmful against you... Um, it could never, no matter what I did, approach my offense to God. Because as Dr. Sproul just said, this creature from the dirt rebelled against his creator. Okay, So the fear of God will help keep us from hypocrisy. I had a lady in, uh, in Hernando one time. She was a, she was a lawyer sort of friend. Um, she knew that I worked at a church. I was, uh, I was on staff at Trinity Baptist Church in South Haven. And I guess she wasn't really asking me my thoughts on this. She was just explaining to me how it's okay 
when you're mad at God to rage against God because he understands. And uh, I think I visibly took a step away from her (laughs) because I was thinking, man, if the nuclear explosion that you deserve occurs, I don't want to be right on you. Um, Guys, we rage at God. Who in the world do we think we are? (laughs) We don't rage at God. We fear God. The fear of God will keep us from hypocrisy. Look at a small part of what awaits the hypocrite in Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and that which you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. If that doesn't scare you, I don't think you understood what I just said. <laughs> okay. Everything will be revealed. That should help keep us from hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is insidious. Um, Jesus compares it to leaven. Now, leaven is often compared to sin in the Bible, but not always. I think in Luke 13, uh, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to leaven. So the, the, the part of leaven that he's trying to tell us about is that it infects, it spreads. If you take leaven and dough and you got a ton of dough and a little bit of leaven, you mix it up in there, let it wait a while, and that leaven will infuse or yeast will infuse the whole thing. And so hypocrisy, if you let it into your life, it spreads to other areas of your life. If you let it into your church, it spreads throughout your church. Now, we let everybody in, okay? If, if a hypocrite wants to come and sit in our service, he can come sit in our service. And we welcome him and we preach the gospel to him, right? But if we start putting those people, if we start taking hypocrites and putting them in leadership roles, and we take hypocrites and we start celebrating their hypocrisy, that's when we have introduced it into the church. So if we let it in at all to our lives, to our churches, it infects, it spreads, and it grows. It has to be done away with, and true fear of God will do that. You know, fear of God will also free you from the fear of man. Verses 4 and 5 says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after they have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, in other words, God is perfectly capable of killing the body as well, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, what do you think about fear of hell as a motivation to be saved? I think it's a perfectly intelligent, legitimate reason to be saved. Some folks talk about how, no, we don't want to preach about hell because then that'll just motivate people to run away from hell. Well, you ought to be motivated to run away from hell. You're crazy if you're not. Dr. Rogers used to say, I'd rather scare you into heaven than lull you into hell. He was right. Folks, that's why we don't. uh, You know, we were talking about how morality without Jesus is worse than immorality without Jesus because you can be lulled into a sense of comfort. If somebody is in a sinful and rebellious lifestyle and they go to a liberal church, they'll be affirmed and be assured of heaven. And then they're twice as bad off as they were before they went. So hell is a great motivator to come 
to Jesus and escape that condemnation. We talked last week about how false religion, all false religion, is hypocrisy. And we just said the hypocrisy of false religion is particularly insidious because it comforts you as it sends you to hell. Now, guys, this, this passage tells us that God is always watching. Uh, that can be a comfort to, believer, to believers. You know, I'm in that you're not abandoned. You're not left alone. God's presence is always with you. He always has his eye on you. But it should also be a huge deterrent from sin, right? You can hide things from your parents. You can hide things from your wife. You can hide things from your pastor. You can't hide anything from God. You know, uh, I, I hear about preachers that get in trouble for two reasons. Money and as a... Uh, as the president of our convention says, money and honeys. Monies and honeys are what get people in trouble. Um, so, you know, Pat, is, Pat takes care of the finances around here, and she's way smarter than I am, and I'm sure there's no way I could steal money from the church. But if I wanted to steal money from the church, it wouldn't be fear of Pat that would be my primary <laughs> problem. It would be fear of God that would be my primary problem. Uh, men and women can be fooled, they can be tricked, they can be lied to, they can make excuses to them that they believe. God, however, sees what you're up to and knows every sin. And that fear of God will keep us from hypocrisy. Now, the fact that God knows everything and sees everything should be a constant terror to the hypocrite. In verses 6 and 7 it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. God knows and God sees. He knows how many hairs are on your head while you're doing whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> okay, He perceives everything that we are up to. So fear of man is, is tempting because we all want to be accepted. And that can lead you to do what is wrong because it's popular. Uh, consider our current cancel culture. I mean, if you have ever, if, if you're important and you've ever said or done anything that's not politically correct right this instant, they will go back and find it, dig it up, show it to everybody and say, see, this person is unworthy of being followed, unworthy of speaking any truth to anybody. You've got to ignore them completely. Fear of God is the cure to that fear of man. All manner of hypocrisy is tempting because we all want to be thought well of, but fear of God is the cure for that. Now, first of all, we avoid hypocrisy by the fear of God. Second, we avoid hypocrisy by confessing God the Son before men. Verses 8 and 9 say, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. All false religions have a deficient belief concerning either who Jesus is or what he has accomplished, or both. You know, if, you, uh, if some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door... And you go to the door and they say, hey, can we tell you about God? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. Uh, I worship Jesus Christ. They'll say, oh, yeah, we do too. Jesus is awesome. Well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. They'll say, yeah, me too. But if you dig, <laughs> you'll realize that they have a very different conception of Jesus than you do. 
They think he's a creature, not the creator. Okay? And so every false religion has some kind of deficiency regarding the person or work of Jesus. So a way to avoid hypocrisy is making sure that you have a true and honest confession about God the Son. The world hated Jesus and it still hates his followers. There are many places around the world where confessing Christ before men will get you killed. Here in America, for now anyway, confessing Christ before men, you know, you might get ridiculed. If you live in the right place and you have the right job, you might even be fired. Uh, but really, we have it good. We, we are not actually really persecuted. And we like religious freedom, don't we? I, I love it. I'm grateful for it. The problem is that our society does allow for a lot of comfortable hypocrites. You don't have to pay for proclaiming Jesus Christ. Therefore, there are a lot of people who are willing to do it who don't do it honestly. Remember we said that God sees and he knows. It's, it's not only that he sees the outside of the cup. You know, Jesus was talking a couple of weeks ago about how you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside it's nasty. Okay, so God sees the outside and he also sees the inside. So when you proclaim Christ, if you, if you do it hypocritically, it is no benefit to you. Matthew fifteen seven through 9 says this, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now this lets us know that a surface, insincere, hypocritical confession of Jesus is no good. A denial of Jesus or an insincere confession of Jesus will lead to Jesus denying you. Verse 9 of Luke 12 says, But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now further proof that you can confess Jesus insincerely and to no avail is found in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now they're confessing that he's Lord, right? But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I'm pretty sure there are going to be some people that say, didn't we lead music in church for you? Didn't we spend our lives preaching from the pulpit for you? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I hope that you realize that is the most terrifying passage of Scripture you can find. He's saying that many people who think they are okay with God. They think they're good with God. They think they've been serving God. Are actually self-deluded and they are not. So how do you know if you're sincere in your confession of Jesus? Look guys, I used to work at First Baptist in, uh, in Horn Lake. And we would send kids to youth camp every year. And every year they would come back. And you know, eight or ten of them would get saved. The problem was those same eight or ten got saved the last year 
And those same eight or ten were going to get saved the next year <laughs> because they would go to youth camp where there's a lot of emotional music and they're focusing on God and they'll start feeling warm and fuzzy and they'll go, you know, I did this last year, but it wasn't real. I mean, I didn't actually change anything, so I must not have meant it enough. I must not have been sincere enough in my profession of Christ. So I'll do it again. And then come the next year, they'll say, man, I'm still not living like a believer, so here we go again, right? One of those years, I went to the pastor and I said, brother, this is, this is ridiculous. These guys don't understand what salvation is. Let's sit down with them individually and explain the gospel. And he said, okay, yeah, you, yeah, do that. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I went and I got one of our guys and I said, brother, tell me, uh, you, you said that you prayed to receive Christ at camp, right? And he goes, yeah. So well, tell me about it. And he said, well, you know, I didn't mean it last year. I don't think I really meant it, but this year I really meant it. And like I was crying and stuff. And, you know, I was just, I was really, uh, I really felt it this year. Okay. Who's the subject of all these sentences? I is the subject of all these sentences, right? That is the problem, guys. People think I need to be sincere enough. I need to feel a certain way. Guys, your feelings are the shallowest part of you. What we need to do is be saved by the grace of God. When I tell you my salvation, I will say God saved me, okay? Paul was riding along, not feeling very emotionally attached to Jesus, right? And he got knocked down and Jesus revealed himself to him. And Paul was gloriously, instantly, amazingly transformed. That's what salvation is. It's God's action on you, not your warm and fuzzy feelings. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Okay, that is so clear. If you want to know if your salvation is sincere, do you do what he tells you? We sang a great song earlier. It, what, remind me of the lyrics. It says, uh, where you call, I'll go. Uh, lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. Where you call me, I will answer. Okay? So, he already tricked you into saying yes to God. Okay? And at the end, we're going to sing that song again. So, on both sides of the sermon, you have been tricked into singing to God that you're going to say yes to him. So keep that in mind as we go through here. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Well, the obvious answer is, if your confession of Jesus is insincere, you won't do what he says. If it is sincere, then you'll actually obey him. Luke 6.43 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. None of us is where we ought to be. None of us is where we will eventually be in our spiritual life. But if we've been saved and given a new nature, then we're not where we were, right? That's progress is what we need to see. Life causes growth. If there's not growth, it's real good to assume there's not spiritual life. 
Now, if you're not growing in your spiritual life, something is wrong. It's one of two things, okay? Please hear me, guys. If you're not growing in your spiritual life, it's one, you're not saved. Or two, you're saved, but something has gone completely off the rails and you need help getting back on track. Either way, if this describes you, do something about it. Uh, Lead me, Lord, I'll follow. Okay, I'm telling you where to follow right now is if you are not growing spiritually, do something about it. Either repent and believe in Christ and be saved, or come to me, come to your deacon and say, Brother, I know I'm saved, but something's not working. I'm not growing, and I will help you. Avoid hypocrisy by fearing God, by confessing the Son, and finally avoid hypocrisy by submitting to and obeying God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role in salvation is to give you the gift of faith. He removes your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh and grants you repentance and faith. He gets all the credit for that. Um, dead men don't do anything. Okay. I have heard the gospel explained this way. It's like, uh, you are in the sea and you're going down for the third time. And here comes God with a, with a boat and he throws you a life preserver. And all you have to do is grab that life preserver. Well, the problem with that is it's inaccurate <laughs> because the Bible says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead men don't tread water. They sink to the bottom and they lay there. Okay? So when God saved me, he didn't throw me a life preserver. He grabbed me off the bottom of the ocean, breathed life into me, and started my heart going. Okay? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 tells us this. And so listen to this with an open and understanding mind. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this, that faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, he gets all 100% of the credit for your salvation. It's what theologians call a monergistic work. Mono is one, so a monergistic work. He is the one that, that causes salvation. Now, after salvation, though, the Holy Spirit does a synergistic work with us. That means he works with us, synergy, you know, as, as people working together for a common goal. So the Holy Spirit works with you in maturing you in the faith. Now, you're called to put the work in 
to grow in the faith. Now, we don't put the work in to be saved because we're dead. Dead men don't work. But once we're saved, once we're given life, we put work into growing in grace. You cannot do it without the Spirit at all, but He won't do it while you ignore the Word, lay out of church, and are generally disobedient. If I hired a personal trainer, the best personal trainer in the world, and never got off the couch, (laughs) it wouldn't do me any good, would it? You won't get results either if you don't strive to grow in the faith. Now, maturing in the faith doesn't just happen by getting older, okay? Maturing physically happens by just getting older, but not in the faith. Uh, a friend of mine in, a, in the first church where I worked, he, and I've told you this before, but I'll remind you, he would come to me and say, man, I am not living this victorious Christian life that I hear other people talk about, but I want to. Can you help me? And I'll say, yep. And uh, he'd say, okay, help me. I'll say, okay, read the Word. Now, read the Word is not the end Okay, I was going to tell him more stuff. (laughs) But the first thing I said was read the word. And I gave him a Bible reading plan. And I said, read the word. And he said, okay. He'd come back in three or four months and say, man, I'm just not living this victorious Christian life I hear about. And I said, did you read the word? No. (laughs) Okay. Well, he said he wanted victory. He said he wanted spiritual growth. But when the rubber met the road, he didn't want it enough to bother reading the word of God. Come tell me you want help growing in the faith. I dare you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What will I do? I'll help you. And you'll probably help me. That's the great thing about discipleship. It's a mutual endeavor. Uh, We will read together. We'll memorize scripture together. Now don't, okay. I know people are going to say, I used to be able to memorize, now I can't. I understand. I feel that way too. Greek and Hebrew were torture for me because I didn't take them when I was 20 something. I took them when I was in my late forties. Okay. So I understand memorization is difficult, but if somebody said, I'm going to give you $500 for every verse you memorize, boom, you'd be able to memorize stuff. Wouldn't you? I understand that. That's how that works. So memorize scripture, pray together. And then help you understand more about how to study the Bible. Guys, that's not something that's intuitive. It's something that is taught. Most of us have not been taught how to understand and interpret Scripture. That's okay. We can teach you that. Uh, I would also want you to get comfortable sharing your faith. Because that's part of what we're called to do. Then, you know what I would do? I would ask you to do this with somebody else. Guys, that's how we become discipled. We disciple one another, and then as the other person gets comfortable and discipled, then we say, hey, do this for somebody else. That's the way that everybody in this church can become discipled in a reasonably short amount of time. Now remember, God is watching and his eye is on the sparrow and all that stuff. God just heard me offer you (laughs) the ability and the opportunity to be discipled. Okay, so what are you going to do with that offer? Well, think about it, pray about it, and, and uh, answer that question. What are you going to do with it? You either have to say, no, thank you, or you have to say, yeah, let's do that. And if you want to do it, we can do it. By God's grace, we as a church are going to become a lot better at disciple making. Now, I understand that's a little intrusive. Uh, we had a person tell me a, a year or two ago that uh, I'm way too nosy about their spiritual life. Uh, I expressed, and I didn't come to them and say, look, you loser, start reading your Bible. It wasn't anything like that. I just asked them how things were going, okay? 
And they told me, you are way too intrusive about my spiritual life. You just need to back off. And I said, okay. Um, guys, if you don't want me concerned about your spiritual life, you've got to fire me. Because I'm going to be concerned about your spiritual life. That's what I'm here for. So, by God's grace, we're going to get better at discipling each other. No pattern or scheme or program or anything else can grow you in the faith without the Spirit of God working in you. Okay, let me make sure you understand that. But then we have to put in the effort. If you are submitted to and obedient to the Spirit, He has your back. Now, speaking here of persecution in verses 11 and 12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about, what you should, about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, I don't know how the prosperity preachers deal with this verse. You know, I don't know what Joel Osteen thinks this means because this is talking about persecution um, and dealing with persecution. And the prosperity folks don't think we ought to ever deal with persecution. But in complete contrast, here's what Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul was writing in a very different time and historical context, but if and when we encounter real persecution, the Holy Spirit will glorify God through you if you are submissive and obedient to Him. So guys, avoid hypocrisy by fearing God the Father, by confessing God the Son, and by submitting to and obeying God the Holy Spirit. The first act of submission is to believe the gospel. And what that, that's a two-part thing, guys. It is repentance of sin. And the best way for me to summarize that real quickly is to say unconditional surrender. You come to God and you say, you're right. Where you lead, I'll follow. <laughs> Where you call me, I'll go, period. You say that to God, that is repentance. It's saying, I'm not going to live my life my way with my agenda chasing my pleasures. What I'm going to do is obey you. Now, I don't know everything you want, but everything you want I've already said yes to. That's repentance. Now, faith is believing that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did. And he was the Son of God who died, was buried, and was raised for the forgiveness of your sins. He lived a life you didn't live and couldn't live. And died in your place. That is the faith part. So if we come to him in repentance and faith, that is believing the gospel.